1: Welcome to the podcast, Speaking to Influence, Communication Secrets of the C-Suite. I'm Dr. Laura Sokola, your host, founder of Vocal Impact Productions and author of Speaking to Influence, Mastering Your Leadership Voice. My guest today is Dr. Joseph Garbley, chief medical officer and executive vice president of Karen Treatment Centers, a nationally recognized nonprofit provider of treatment for people with alcohol and drug addictions. Dr. Garbley, thank you so much for joining me today. It's a privilege to be here. Thank you
2: for inviting me.
1: So tell us a little bit about Karen Treatment Centers. What's your 30-second elevator pitch?
2: Karen Treatment Centers was started nearly 70 years ago and has been in the business of helping people with addictions for all of that time, so nearly 70 years' worth of experience. And as a result, Karen realizes that the quality of care is paramount that we must have the top quality of care. And they have committed to that for all of this time, these 70 years. And because of that, we have best-in-class outcomes, half of the relapses that other places have. Mm. And what I would say is really best-in-class treatment, which is really borne out by the fact that folks seek us out and come from 46 states and 13 countries Wow, for treatment. That's amazing. Looking at the best. They want to come to the best. And I would say... I'm biased, but I would say that Karen is the best at treatment.
1: That's absolutely amazing. And I saw even from your website, your locations are absolutely beautiful, which I would just imagine is an incredibly welcoming Mm -hmm. first vision and a hopeful idea upon arriving for such an important treatment for someone to receive and for their families for peace of mind as well. Oh, absolutely. We meet people on their worst day right? Yes. When they come into
2: treatment it is typically their worst day. They don't know what to expect. Their life is about to change materially. Families as well. Yeah. Families have been living with this for so long that they've adapted to it or maladapted, let's say. Sure. To so they're going to change too. And with change comes perhaps even more change. Mm. So there's a lot of uncertainty and we want to make sure that the amenities when they come in are welcoming and comfort. Yes. And we want them to feel like they're at a quality place and we have it from here.
1: Yes, absolutely. And so then with all of that, what's your favorite part of your job and why? It's exactly what we just talked about. It's meeting
2: patients and it's speaking to the families of the patients. It's being with patients, helping patients and helping families understand this disease as a chronic disease that it is and the neurobiology that exists that we understand about this chronic disease. And they're so grateful for that education. And the patients are just so grateful for the opportunity to have an intervention that may change their life forever.
1: Yeah, a real second chance or mm-hmm. real new start. Yeah. I think we'd all like a clean slate from once in a while.
2: Absolutely. I mean, I, I got a call this past week from a former patient from here. He asked if he could do that. And it's, it was years ago that he was here. But he just wanted to say thank you. Thank you for changing my life. Mm. And he's written a book. His life has gone in a very positive direction over the years since he left Karen. And he wanted to make sure I knew that I was an integral part of that. And that really it touches your heart in ways that, you know, you can't imagine. That's what we do it
1: for. Well, and it's funny because whether in for profit or nonprofit, I work with a lot of corporate executives and mm. the concept of legacy Is something that's often discussed. What legacy do you want to leave and how do you need to strengthen and maintain the culture of the organization? Mm -hmm. What needs to happen to leave that legacy? And when you think about the word legacy, what is it other than what is the impact that you want to have, the lasting impact? reputation only because of the impact. And you're just showing how it's person by person, one life at a time, and not just little changes. It's massive change that you make to that person. So I would imagine that's incredibly gratifying.
2: It is. It's more gratifying than the work I used to do as a critical care doctor, an internist who did a lot of critical care work, who became a psychiatrist and an addiction medicine specialist. Mm. And I have to say that the rewarding nature of what I'm doing now is transcended to the rewarding nature of what I used to do. Okay. And I don't know exactly why that is, but when you change someone's life so materially, in such a positive way, and by treating their addiction they can't help but be grateful. And they, they make sure that you know that. Mm. And that didn't always happen in other parlances in medicine. Sure. And it actually took me by surprise when I went down this path, right. my third path in medicine, if you will.
1: Sure. I would think that's a lesson we could all stand to learn from is remember, step up and tell people when they've made a real difference to you.
2: Yes. Yes, exactly. And that happens with frequency in addiction medicine. Beautiful. The hope is that it it can happen in all of medicine. This is a very difficult time in medicine right now.
1: Tell me a little bit about that, actually. What's happening now in medicine that makes it uniquely difficult or different? And for that matter, how do you have to adjust your messaging when you're talking to different stakeholder groups about it? Yes.
2: So the pandemic is the uh, what we're not talking about right now, but really talking about the pandemic that's been going on for nearly two years has altered our civilization, actually, and our culture in the two years that it's been around. How that looks in medicine is we have to keep our patients safe. So we had to come up or myself and another physician came up with the policies, procedures, protocols to keep all the campuses within and safe.
1: Who are the different stakeholder groups, the big buckets of people who you have to convey these new reactive motions to? And how do you get through to them? What's the difference in what they care about and what you need them to hear?
2: The first stakeholder group are the frontline staff. That's doctors, nurses, and behavioral health techs that are with patients. So they need to understand that we have to have certain protocols in place in an effort to keep patients safe and to keep them safe as well. So the protective gear that they need to wear is tiresome at this point in time. And uh, we just need to encourage them to keep themselves safe, keep the patient safe. So that's a constant discussion with that stakeholder group. Sure. Yeah. So and and they get it. And the other part I want to just mention quickly is that there's a lot of fatigue in that group. Yes. Compassion fatigue, if you will, because this has been going on so long. Sure. So we address that too. And we make sure that we let our frontline staff know that they are everyday heroes. And we do that through bonuses. We do it verbally. So we want them to understand that without them, patients that absolutely need treatment right now wouldn't get it. Right. So that's the first stakeholder.
1: group. And thank you to all the nurses, all the physicians and all the other on-hand staff who is, I'm going to just add my thanks to all of you, all of you essential workers, absolutely everyday heroes. So I wanted to echo that as well. Thank you. And who's stakeholder group number two?
2: So uh, the stakeholder group number two that needs to be addressed is the patients and their families. Okay. Because coming into Karen looks different than they thought it would. The flow of coming into Karen has altered dramatically. And that is because we need to make sure that the patient is safe when they come to Karen and that they stay safe while they're at Karen. And sometimes families and patients are a little apprehensive of wearing masks and doing some mitigation strategies that need to be done. Families would like to go beyond the point that they're allowed to be with their loved one Mm. because it's so tough and we get that. And they also would like to visit personally on campus with their loved one and they can't right now. Uh, Everything has gone virtual when it comes to family services and, you know, we're Hopeful that that's going to come back on campus soon, and visitation will come back. It's tough. You come into treatment and you can't see your family. That's tough. So they're FaceTiming. We allow for that. So we use technology as well at Karen, and we're adapting to the best of our abilities. But it's not the same thing. They really need a hug. (laughs) Sure. And they can't. They can't get.
1: Yeah, I would imagine that's got to be really hard to not have your support system literally physically with you the way you otherwise would have been able to do it. Absolutely. Yes. And the third group?
2: The third group is the financial folks. Uh, They need to know, and they needed to know at the beginning of this pandemic, that things are going to change rapidly and that we're going to have to reduce our census in an effort to be safe, to get the protocols that we came up with. Implemented. Mm. And only when we feel those protocols are implemented correctly and they're happening on a day-to-day basis can we increase the number of folks coming in, meaning our census. So we're going to have to deal with the financial fallout of a lower amount of people that we treat meaning a lower census. Sure. And to their credit, they were absolutely wonderful because they too were affected and are still affected by this pandemic. So like what has been said over and over again, the pandemic, you know, that's all we talk about. Sure. It's because it permeates all lives in ways that, you know, is hard to understand.
1: Right. So tell me then with With all of this, it sounds like you need to talk to a lot of different groups, and Mm -hmm. that is, of course, a heavier topic. Then again, all of treatment is is heavy to some extent or another. Mm -hmm. In doing that, what's something you're really good at communication-wise, and what's a skill that you wish you were better at?
2: So a skill that I'm really good at is direct, honest, authentic communication. Mm -hmm. So if you sit down with me, you're going to feel like you're getting the truth and nothing but the truth, a direct approach honest and open approach and a caring and loving approach as well so this is the skill set that i've honed over the years and has afforded me the ability to be in the c suite for most of my medical career what i would i wish i could do better is to have that ability to get out there beyond the amount that I am right now Mm. to other stakeholders yet to be identified, for instance. Sure. So getting maybe out of my comfort zone and, you know, do more traveling and things of that sort for Karen, because that's something that the pandemic has held back. But I, you know, I also am a family-oriented guy. So I held back a bit about traveling and things of that sort. Sure. So I wish I, you know, had a little more, ability to get out there and spread the message because there's no better treatment
1: than Karen. And that message needs to be spread. Agreed. Agreed. Now, who are some of the role models that you have had as far as communication is concerned, whether it was a teacher, a public figure, who really impacted you? The most impactful
2: role model for me is Dr. David Barron. He is the psychiatrist in charge of mental health for all of the U.S. athletes at Beijing right now.
1: Hmm, Wow.
2: So um, he's a famous guy, and I was incredibly fortunate to have him as a mentor. When I went back after being an internist and critical care doc, I ended up going into psychiatry, and he was my chairman. And I was able to see his effective ways of communicating. And what did he do that was so
1: impactful? What, What impressed you about the
2: way that he spoke? Very similar to the strengths I mentioned. He's very direct, honest, empathic, compassionate. You always felt like you're going to get a fair shake. If something happened, he's gonna to listen to you. He was a great listener and a great communicator. So you didn't feel like he was distracted when you were talking to them. Mm. You felt like you were the only person there, you know, and and what you had
1: to say was incredibly interesting. To him,
2: (laughs) whether it was or wasn't, he he made you feel that way.
1: (laughs) You know, that sounds like uh, the Mister Rogers syndrome—the ability to make someone feel like they're the most important person to you and the only person in the room, as far as they're concerned.
2: That is right. That's beautifully said. I like that a lot. That's that's David Barron, happens to be you know my mentor and someone I'm just so proud of.
1: That's amazing. That's amazing to have somebody like that to be able to learn from. And it sounds like you've really taken up the torch for him as well and continued that race. So Joe, that brings us to our listener 24-hour influence challenge. So this is a fun opportunity for you to talk directly to our audience and challenge them to take one step that they can complete in the next 24 hours so that they can have more influence. How would you like to challenge our listeners today? So how I would
2: like to challenge our listeners is to step out of your comfort zone. What I would like you to do is think of what you have that's on your plate right now that you're avoiding, Mm. what you don't want to do because of anxiety, or you think you might not be good at it. That very thing that causes you the greatest anxiety, I would like you to volunteer for that. Mm. And I would like you to break through and take a step in the positive direction and realize that you will be great at it. You might not know that if you never do it. Uh, you miss every shot you don't take, right? That's a famous Wayne saying. Wayne Gretzky, yes. yes. Go, right? yeah, was, Absolutely. They mentioned it on the Super Bowl last night. But it's true. You miss every shot you don't take. So it's so important to get ahead. And it's so important to lead by crossing it into areas that you normally wouldn't that areas that are off limits to you because of anxiety or insecurity or what have.
1: That's so great to look at that as a leadership skill. It's not just about, you know, challenge yourself for your own sake, but that mm-hmm. to lead, you're going to be encouraging the people who report to you to step out of their comfort zone and try other things. So they need to watch you do it to right. be able to lead by that example. What a great way to to look at it.
2: Yeah. It's a modeling behavior, really.
1: Yes. So, And in looking at that now, of course, we all have things that we're more comfortable with, that we're less comfortable with, and we all make mistakes along the way, which is part of the human condition, if not one of the favorite parts of the human condition. So what's a mistake? What's a communications-related mistake that you've made? And if you could have a do-over, what would it sound like?
2: So a communications mistake that I've made, I'm happy to say it's only happened a couple of times, is hitting reply all. Uh, and oh no, that hurts just because I've done it more. That went right to my stomach. Go for it. Right. And and you were having a personal conversation. Yeah, you know, professional, but maybe vetting about this or that. And you meant to hit reply and you hit reply all and the firestorm begins very quickly as soon as uh. you do that. So I would love to take those back. You know, I personally apologize. I explain the context and you know, it's a lot of damage control after that. Happened.
1: Yes. Yes. And the uh, wishful do over is pretty obvious just to rewind and, and change the button that you hit. Oh, my gosh, that goes right to my stomach. I yes. think we've all been there, done that and, you know, felt the uh-huh. heat flush into our faces the moment we realized what happened. Oh, my goodness. And the
2: other thing I would say is email communications about things that need to be done in person. Mm. so you know the easier way out is to shoot an email your phone's always with you your email's attached to that work email and you you fire off an email and you know what you cause is anxiety that doesn't necessarily have to happen Mm. that if you had the person in your office and you can explain better. Emails are concise and you cannot infer any kind of emotion from an email. It's hard. So you know, yeah. And then so someone will maybe take it the wrong way. And so you know I've learned if it requires that face to face and your gut is telling you so, don't take the easy way out.
1: Right. And of course nowadays that meeting may be here in the virtual world on video, which yes. means turning yes. the camera on. And have that face to face, which correct makes other people's stomachs do flip flops. For those who don't like to see themselves on camera, we got to get over that. We got to get past that fear. If you're suffering from that, everybody, call me or send me an email. Otherwise, you know I take care of that kind of stuff. We will fix that fear. Got to get comfortable seeing yourself and letting others see you on video. If you're going to lead, absolutely.
2: Oh, absolutely. I agree 100%. And it has been done. Well, I've done that through video. Sure, I always joke around that I have a face for radio. So (laughs) when you say you don't want to see yourself on TV, or, you know, on camera, I should say, that's what comes to mind.
1: Well, I think you had a great face and we're going to put it on video on YouTube. So anybody else who's out there who has not seen it, please do check out the Speaking to Influence YouTube channel and the thread of all the different episodes that we've got there. And you get to watch us have that conversation as well. I always like putting a face to the voice. I think there's just something so much more personal about it.
2: Yeah, I agree. agree. So
1: with that, I'm sure there are a lot of difficult conversations that you need to have. I mean, in the world of addiction treatment in and of itself is Mm. always about difficult situations. So what's an example of a time when you had to share bad news? or initiate a difficult conversation with somebody? How'd you handle it? How did it go?
2: When I was thinking about the answer to this particular question, I went back to the intensive care unit okay. and having to give families you know, the worst of news, which is that their loved one wasn't going to make it. Mm. And I, all through the beginning of my career, the first 10 years of my career, I spent a lot of time, sadly, having to do just that. Oh. yeah, And-, and There is no easy way to do it. There just isn't. And what I learned is you just have to show your feelings. You know, you're sad. You lost someone. As a physician, you're sad. Sure. That's what people don't understand. We get sad too. (laughs) Sure. And uh, so that sadness, that empathy, that compassion needs to then be communicated with the family. And that's true in addiction medicine. It's true in psychiatry. You know, whenever you have to give news that family doesn't want to hear, it's going to be a difficult task and must be done with much love and care.
1: I would imagine that that's just as part of the world of medicine that you're in. The highs are super high because you get those earlier notes that you referenced earlier where someone says, you changed my life. I have you to thank for the amazing new start that I have. But the flip side of that coin, unfortunately, is that the lows are really awful when you know that someone's not going to make it, that they're unfortunately won't be with us much longer in this world. And that's got to be tragic to have to share with a family. I can't imagine anything that would be worse than that. Even layoffs are better than death to have to share that.
2: Absolutely. Yes. It's very difficult, especially now because you can't do it in person. I mean, the family can't say goodbye. It's through
1: iPad. Oh, yes. That's just, again, right to the stomach on these so that the heart's is strong and the stomach's right there along with it. Mm. So then when talking about this virtual world, again, you go from the highest highs to the lowest lows in all of this. And of course, you're now working with your wider team overall. How has your virtual presence improved in these last couple of years? And what is something that would help you be even stronger as a team or in- individually for that matter, moving forward?
2: So, this is one of those situations where you kind of get pushed off the ledge or out of the nest, if yes. you will, and you're either going to soar or you're not. Like anything else, repetition, repetition, repetition. Mm-hmm. So, I have done countless national, regional, local presentations and have really gotten more and more comfortable doing them. I've done workshops virtually like eight hour workshops virtually. Mm. And I've, I've used all kinds of different software that I didn't even know existed yes
1: join the club on that oh my goodness between teams and zoom and GoToMeeting and webex and you name it and they keep coming up with new ones for conferences and things every time i think i know exactly what's going on they make a new button
2: that's right yeah absolutely (laughs) and now i've had to go to conferences virtually too i'm on the board of directors at the american society of addiction medicine so Mm. in our charter we need to meet you know face to face a number of times a year and so that's all been virtual, of course, right? Yep. And so I've you know, had to sit through days-long meetings, so two, three days, and realize that for whatever reason, your stamina isn't as great doing virtual work yes. as it is if you're running around seeing patients and doing other things like that. Sure, So, you know, for me, I don't understand that. But whatever the case may be, I I always leave a little bit more exhausted when I have a long virtual conference that I'm leading.
1: Sure. You know, what's interesting is that I have found that we all talk about Zoom fatigue in air quotes, whether it's Zoom or whatever platform Mm -hmm. I'm on Zoom now. I prefer it. But nevertheless, I think a lot of it is actually because of sound quality that I have found. And lack of video. When people don't turn their video on, there's an anxiety. You're just seeing sort of yourself or a bunch of disembodied names of sorts. And there's a discomfort with that, a lack of connection. But the sound also makes a difference. And and I'll do a a quick demo here for people. I always encourage people to, if you're going to spend money on anything, upgrade your mic. It doesn't need to be a thousand dollar, you know, crazy Cadillac of sorts, but just a little bit can really change because if your microphone, if you're using is embedded in your computer or something and you sound like this mm-hmm. and you sound muffled like you're in a box or in the ocean or in a tunnel of some sort, that's hard to listen to. Mm-hmm. You have to strain and squint to figure out what they're saying. But then suddenly when you cut through and have a much better sound quality, it's like, oh, wow. OK, let me tune in see what it literally alleviates a cognitive burden on the part of the listener to just identify what you're saying versus much less what you mean or whether they agree with it or whether they like it. Mm -hmm. So when most people sound like this, then... And you have to sustain that listening right. for four, six, eight hours a day or more. Mm-hmm. That's something that is literally cognitively, physically, and emotionally fatiguing. So, to everybody out there, here's my PSA for the day: Please upgrade your microphones and go to <laughs> speakingtoinfluence.com, and you can find the link to download my recommendations for our microphones and, and more. But that is something that I think is just such a huge difference. So thank you for giving me the opportunity to get on my soapbox there for a second. No,
2: I'm glad you did. Thank you.
1: So and to everybody else, you know, go not just for you, get one for your teams, help everybody upgrade. You'll find you actually like talking to each other more when you sound (laughs) more pleasant to each other. And I'm only half kidding about that. It actually does make a difference. All right, so all of that, tell me about advice to future generations. If you were asked to give the commencement address. At a high school graduation ceremony, Mm. what advice would you give the graduates, whether they go to college or trade school or wherever, regardless of major or career goals? What's the one thing they have to do to be successful?
2: So I would start by saying that they are the most resilient of classes that we've had probably in, you know, 100 years by going through this pandemic and then getting your degree and having an altered experience in school, but still pushing forth to get your degree, that to me shows a tremendous amount of resilience, inner strength. So take that with you. Allow that to fuel your confidence to be a leader, to take on challenges, to maybe apply for a position that seems a little high for you. Go for it. What's the worst that can happen? You don't have the position. You may not. But you went for it, and that's because you are resilient. I am in awe of the young people that are just finding ways to have fun and be kids and get through this in such a way that uh, we older folks: <laughs> for lack <of> a <laughs> us term.
1: old fogies who are, you know like over 25, yeah. right.
2: <laughs> uh, yes, and I am way over 25. But we don't like change. You know, I mean, it's the one constant in life. I get it. But, you know, we're a lot more rigid, I guess, as we get older. And it's harder to adapt, if you will, to the change. But I just, to me, I'm just in awe of the generation that's going through this pandemic, having these altered life experiences. But they are having fun. They're finding a way, you know. And uh, I feel like our future is bright. And that's because of all of you graduating today from whatever school you graduate. <laughs>
1: <laughs> beautiful, beautiful. On that high note, Joe, tell us how can people learn more about you and Karen Treatment Centers?
2: So the easiest way is through our website, www.karen, and that's C-A-R-O-N, not K A R E N. C
1: A R O N C-A-R-O-N.com. And we'll, of course, put that in the show notes so you can go there. Don't worry. If you're driving your car, please do not try to find a pen and jot it down on the back of your hand as you're driving. So we will provide it for you wherever you can look at it later. Anything else, Joe?
2: No, it was a pleasure to be on this podcast. You're doing great work. Thank you for giving me a platform to talk about what I do and where I do it.
1: Thank you so much for being a leader in the field, both for us. To learn from you and to learn how you lead your people and thinking about all these different groups and what's at stake for each of them, what's at their heart, what's at the core of their job, what's at the core of their daily focus in life and how to connect with each of those groups. And of course, thank you to you and all the frontline staff and all those at Karen for the incredibly, incredibly important life-saving work that you do. Thank you. So, all right, to everybody else out there, as always, thank you for tuning in and thank you for subscribing. If you have not done so yet, please do that so you never miss an episode. And don't forget to give us a five star rating on Apple Podcasts or whatever your platform of choice is so we can help even more people increase their confidence, presence, and influence. And as I mentioned earlier, if you want to download my free guide to equipment recommendations for virtual influence, including my picks for microphones, lights, and more, go to speakingtoinfluence.com. I'm Dr. Laura Socola, and you're listening to Speaking to Influence, communication secrets of the C-suite.
0: Thanks for listening to Speaking to Influence, communication secrets of the C-Suite, the show for leaders who want to speak with impact. The hosts, producers, owners, and media distributors of the show make no guarantees that the strategies and information discussed will result in profit or other success and may result in losses. The opinions and statements of the hosts and guests do not necessarily reflect the opinions of the owners, staff, managers, broadcasters, or sponsors of the show. No medical or psychological therapy or personal or professional wellness or relationship advice is offered in the show. You are advised to seek counsel on matters related to your health, family, relationships, job, or other business and legal matters from licensed advisors in those areas prior to making any changes in business or lifestyle. No information provided may be suitable in your situation. As always, take responsibility for the decisions and actions you take, including the reactions they may make in your work, family, health, and life.